it it really felt like in some ways the rock star was sort of stifled in a, in a sense and yeah. i think it was maybe that little bit of that mtv dominance and there was also the girl right. the boy band and the girl band and those were yeah. these really big groups that dominated in the 90s as well and i think to some people that just felt like highly curated <laughs> Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew, drew the map. map. Introducing... Um, our guest for this evening, this this morning, depends where you are really, Olivia. Hello. Olivia, more probably if I say Indie Sleaze. Yes, yes. Your then, Indie Sleaze admin right here in Toronto. <laughs> oh my goodness. Can you tell me something about Indie Sleaze? Because I've, I've, tr I'm, I've been doing a little looking around as well. But I, I thought if, if somebody's listening and they go... Tell me what indie sleaze is. How would you put them put them straight? Yeah, give us the give us the um, elevator pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically this time in music, fashion, and culture during um, between the times of 2001 to approximately 2012, when there was this sort of rebirth of rock and roll, this post-punk revival, um, and then also these genres like blog house and new, uh, new rave that were really um, inspired by kind of coming of age on the internet. And I would say this is arguably sort of the first subculture to exist online or be influenced by social media in a sense, when a lot of um, bands were kind of coming up on MySpace and sort of at the start of Tumblr and with other social media sites like LiveJournal. And it really played an influence in how um, people dressed and how they how the music sounded and how people were also reacting to world events. 9-11 um, being one of the kind of the catalyst in a sense in New York for this rebirth of rock and roll with people wanting to uh, break away from the rules and kind of that MTV dominance that was of the 90s um, with a lot of new metal and I, I still like new metal but it was sort of <laughs> like a reaction to that um, right. so it's this very interesting time in in pop culture and in music that to me felt hadn't been explored in depth yet like I guess because it felt too recent but I think there's far enough time in between then and now to sort of look at it more objectively and decide what what kind of what ingredients helped make this time what it was? Wow. Okay. Well, that was a very succinct uh, elevator pitch there. We must have got oh. up to like the, the 20th floor at least. But, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, <laughs> I suppose the thing for me that was apparent is, and you hit it in the first uh, you know, 10 seconds of it, is it was something different. There was, there was the internet. You know, there was, that was the way to get the communication across and we hadn't done much of that before you know i mean me and budgie came up where there was no internet so it you know our communication with people that like the music was much more visceral you know we had to go and see them we had to play it to them or or maybe they got records or whatever but it was uh, usually much more face to face and so this was a time where we're doing the same kind of 
event, but then it's all online as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a different thing. And I, I guess that has, you know, in the history of modern music, those, those points where things happen like that are, are the pivotal points where things change. Like for us, from, from me and Budgie growing up, it was punk, you know? Punk mm -hmm. changed everything. You know, I mean, it, it, we can't, you know, I talk to people nowadays and you say punk rock and they think of maybe a type of music or, or a haircut. It actually wasn't that at all. It was it was a way of being, and it's a way of being that we we still carry carry on, you know, all these years later. So is is that something at the heart of uh, Lindy Sleaze as well, a sort of a characteristic of it, a, a way of being, a attitude as well? I think it was, especially for a lot of these bands associated with New York at the time. They really wanted to be performance based, and that they wanted to have that rock and roll ethic to how they performed on stage. They wanted that to come through. They wanted to be taken seriously as performers and they really wanted to show that they had that kind of gusto on stage and that they were a band not just to listen to because you like the music, but because when you go to their concerts and see them perform, there was something else you would get from that, this live energy that really inspired you and made you want to go out and start your own band or, you know, explore the other music venues in your area and go and see other bands and find the new music that you can kind of recommend to your friends. So there was this big push and encouragement to explore music and to find new music and beyond the next thing and kind of there was a community driven aspect to it in a sense too because message boards and mp3 blogs were super popular during this time it was kind of this boom of the blog and there was this online community where people would come together and discuss their favorite songs or discuss when a band was having a show that or a secret show even and everyone kind of get together and meet up at those shows so it was like online but there was still that face-to-face -face aspect of it and like you kind of said it was this this reaction to the 90s and people felt in similar ways that like the post-punk initially kind of came about it's and with the revival it was like i'm tired of this rigidity i want to kind of take inspiration from other styles of music i don't maybe maybe they came from a punk rock background but they also had an appreciation for top 40 and they wanted to not feel mm. so stifled and pigeonholed they want not so pigeonholed they wanted to kind of incorporate all these things that they really loved and be able to do that without feeling like people were going to tell them that's not right or that's that's not how you do things and people were kind mm. of abandoning that and just going for it and rebelling against that and also embracing a trashy sort of aesthetic in a sense like embracing being kind of off the wall and and messy and going for it and this maximalist sort of sound as well as aesthetics in 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 how they dressed and how their performances came to be on stage. So I think there's a lot of similarities between how this time kind of came about and what people were reacting to in a sense. I'm curious, Olivia, so Indy Slees and, and yourself, how, what's the connection? What 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 did you come in? How did, you, did it find you, or did you find it? Well, that's a bit of a long story. I'll try to make it short. But for me, basically, that's when I was coming of age. That's when I started first going to concerts. You know, one of my first concerts was seeing the Arctic Monkeys open for 
Oasis at the ACC here in Toronto. And that blew my mind at age like 14. I was like, whoa, this is That's this a huge is like, gig, right? Yeah, it was. I was so excited to be there. Um, you know, I was the short kid and there was actually this really tall group of gentlemen in front of me smoking pot. And like, I was kind of worried that when my mom came to pick me up, she'd be like, were you smoking pot? But like, of course, like that didn't happen. I was okay. But um, it was like this incredible experience. And I was like, I don't know. And it kind of like filtered into your clothing and yeah in and my hair. And, and I was even and worried. Did your mom like, recognize it? Did she go like, what's that I can smell? Well, she probably did, but she thinks she knew I was a bit of a square at the time, so I don't think she would have <laughs> I don't think she would have thought that I would have engaged in that sort of activity. Uh, but no. my mom was of the sixties, grew up with the Beatles and grew up with yeah, like okay. all those bands. She's from Liverpool, so she's well versed in that world and you she's know, she from got Liverpool? up to way yeah, yeah, she's from Liverpool. Yeah. Grew up during that time. She's got original Beatles records from from that era that she bought in Liverpool. So, you know, she's she's pretty she embraces the arts and she kind of knows about the rock and roll lifestyle, but I don't think she assumed that that I was getting up to anything like that, but it was this experience where I was like I want to be here. I want to be around music. I want to I just even love the setup the way that people tune their guitars at the beginning that whole experience for me was just so important and that's when I started to go and see more and more bands here in Toronto um, a lot of right. the bands that played the bait shop in the OC if you've seen that show and there was yeah. so much that I was exploring not just like in concert but online like of course I didn't have like all this expendable income to go whatever to whatever concert I liked but um, I still had this online community I could kind of look to and then of course when I went to university I chose an arts program and through that I had my own radio show on my campus and then of course like I was interning at radio stations and that required us to go to concerts and sort of help out at the concerts and um, I just was Were you so... having bands into the studio when you had the radio thing going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean when with the bands within the studio for my radio show at my university were kind of like not very well known bands but they were still like to me very cool and of yeah. course when I was interning at the more, you know, professional established yeah. radio station, they brought in their own bands as well. Um, so, you know, and I also took radio, uh, audio production. So that was a big passion of mine as well. And business of music where we learned about licensing. And we also had to like pick a band from the city and promote them and try to sell their album to actually a panel of professionals and then be graded on that. So this whole thing got me very, very much into music and just into band culture in a sense and you know with, when starting this page it came about because I was literally unemployed in the pandemic as as many of us kind of found ourselves um, I lost my job probably within two or three months of the pandemic starting um, so I was a little bit down you might say and right. you know listening to a lot of music I was spending a lot of time making playlists and there was this playlist I had going in my head since 2017 that was very associated with this era. And it was this playlist that really interested me because it was such a particular time. And I just felt like people hadn't really sort of communicated what this time was now. Do you recall what who was on your original playlist, the first one you were putting together? So the original playlist I put together, it had bands like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and the Strokes, of course, but then it had uh, Justice and it had um, 
uh, yacht and it had um, TV on the radio and Japan mm. droids and yeah, that, those were some of the artists that specifically stand into my mind from that playlist. So I just kind of, for fun, just started this page on Instagram. I didn't know that it would become the moniker of this era. I had no idea that it would kind of blossom into what it has, but I'm very much excited about that and and happy to continue sort of with the help of people who follow me define this time and kind of what it was about and and what's associated with it. So that's kind of the long and short answer of how this wow. page got started in my kind of background with just music exploration. And, and did you uh, coin the title, Indie Sleeves? That's your name. Well, yes, I did. I coined it and I was so surprised because I actually, you can go into my Instagram and there's actually a record of all the names that I kind of had before that, it was playing around with that name, Indie Sleaze. And there was this concept called Landfill Indie that already was a thing. And I didn't really like that. I thought it was a little bit negative. Um, and then I kind of played with the term trash. You know, there's this concept of Euro trash. And even I've talked to people in Berlin who kind of said that during this era, they called themselves Euro trash. And yeah. so I was kind of like, oh, that sort of defines it, sort of gives it a bit of that vibe. But this, I was going to call it sleazy indie. I was going to call it all sorts of things. And then I landed on this one. And it was actually a Reddit comment that really <laughs> solidified it for me because there was people talking about the fashion specifically about this time. And someone mentioned that it was sleazy. And I was like, you know what? That is like, it's a word that's come up before in other artists' um, lyrics and it's mm. come up in blogs that I've read from this time. And it's also come up in like Lizzie Goodman's Meet Me in the Bathroom. And and so I was like, this this is sort of what could be attached to it. Right. And that's how it kind of came to be. Though there were people prior to me forming this Instagram that were already discussing this. There's like Nymphed alumni, this podcast that was very interested in like exploring the fashion and culture of, of this era. And then there was this um, there's this model and designer, Meg Superstar Princess, who was really like, she's transported herself into this era, like she from head to toe and how she acts and conducts herself on mm. um, social media. And then there's this uh, Facebook group called, I think it's called Indie Uber Sleeves that's also been discussing this for a while now too uber sleaze yeah very berlin super yeah. sleaze uber sleaze yeah. i i i just come i think yeah i just come to berlin uh not from liverpool directly but i was originally from liverpool um the berlin i found was a very uh reminiscent of of the time we've just been looking back to is say new york city when mm -hmm. law and i probably first went over to the us mm. and new york city was a crumbling mess Oh yeah, you know, it, there was late no 70s. money. Sure. Uh, yeah, late seventies, early eighties, eighty-one, eighty-two. I think I was first there. You know, cables hanging down the side of buildings, buildings on fire, talking heads writing songs about buildings on fire. David Byrne, David Byrne running down the street, going, "I've got a new song." Um, graffiti everywhere. Oh, it's crazy, and and that's this is kind of when I and I see kind of like young, mostly like a lot of young young Americans, you know. Because Bowie was here, probably right. write, writing about them, and they they, they would, f f you know, just be, marvel at the way you could find a space for very little money, and there was space. So if you were an artist or a band or, or a performance 
some description. You could find a space that wasn't expensive to, to do your thing in. And you could also just basically set up a gallery space anywhere that was empty. And there's a lot of places empty. So I, I, I can sense that there's a, a link between what's physically happening in cities like Berlin, which was mm. still feeling like quite a new city, mm-hmm. um, and what was happening that you were kind of coordinating or somehow f- becoming a, a magnet or a, a hub for a, on the internet, where you were sort of, I don't know, catalyst, a kind of, if you like, the, the meeting point. Same way as somebody like, you know, Vivian Westwood and all of that scene back in the punk days, that was the catalyst for punk, you know, in mm-hmm. lots of ways. They they were articulating the, the fashion sense of it all. And that, I mean, I suppose it goes into the next kind of question, so we're going to run two of them together. But do you see yourself as like a social historian? Is that how you see yourself? Or do you see yourself about making something new happen now? I think it's a bit of both. Like, I see myself as an archivalist. Like, I'm just sort of sourcing all these images that people have forgotten about and even some artists that people have forgotten about. But um, there are a lot of bands that message me and they new bands that are up and coming and they're trying to make it in the world, Mm. which is a very difficult thing to do, um, I would say, these days, especially when we're still sort of in this pandemic. And um, they say, like, my page is really inspiring them and kind of adjusting the direction of their music which is really exciting to me if I can even be just a small part of that um, musically Mm. for anybody Um, I think in some ways potentially I have um, through my page and the popularity of it and the engagement I've seen with it it has encouraged people to sort of look at this time again and see how they can Mm. bring elements of it into a new world in a sense and Mm. revive it and add something different to it. So I think to answer your question, yes, I do feel like it's a bit of both and I hope it can continue to influence people, but I can't take credit for all the work that the musicians and artists and photographers of this era did Mm. and making it so inspirational to me. And the reason why I kind of was looking back at it again is because I was so inspired and and creatively and just excited as well. It's not just even being inspired, it's about being excited about music. Um, It's like holding a mirror, reflecting things out again. Yes. Yeah, that's how I like to think of it, at least. I read something yesterday which uh, made me think uh, about this was uh, it said you know musicians and and you know people that surround that scene and fashion they're very good at readapting stuff to to different purposes like you know up until hip hop we thought record players you know we just play records on it and then suddenly hip hop came along and rap and it was like it's a new instrument. It's something mm-hmm. different to do, you know, to make music with, you know, not just to listen to music. And so in, in your way, you've taken like the, the internet and made a community out of that and made a, a vibrancy that perhaps, you know, for the last few years has been, been lacking. And that was probably true as well, if I think about it, about the original um, time you're talking about, because the 1990s, weren't such a great year for our kind of a uh, great great decade for our kind of music in lots of ways there was there was like you know this whole thing where Britpop took over and you know something completely different for us for a while 
Yeah, what's funny is though, I love 90s music and I love that Britpop because I grew up with it because, you know, mm. I was visiting family and of course, like I'm a kid and I just loved that music. So that music is still like influential to me, but I can definitely see where this change, this sea change in a sense of like, it, it really felt like in some ways the rock star was sort of stifled in a, in a sense and I, I'm yeah. not entirely sure how that came to be but I think it was maybe that little bit of that MTV dominance and there was also the girl right. the boy band and the girl band and those were yeah. these really big groups that dominated in the 90s as well and I think to some people that just felt like highly curated and th this era is more of like this DIY ethos where it's like do it for yourself and and it's okay if you're not the best it's okay if you don't even know how to play your instrument that well yet mm. but you'll learn and you'll learn as you go and that's the important thing and you're having fun and as long as you're like creating these experiences with you and your band you might get somewhere and so there's no harm in trying so I, I think in that sense that's where a lot of what I love about it is it felt so like you could do this too if you have the desire to pick up the bass or pick up a guitar and strum a few chords or whatever maybe if you keep doing that with a few friends you can get somewhere it's incredible wow. you're saying the same the things that we <laughs> yeah. were saying and exactly. if we look back to when we started that's what yeah. we we're saying you could do anything if you just wanted to do it you just basically got up there and did it which was kind of throwing the rule book out you know it's funny we could all, we could almost say we could almost say indie sleaze is the new punk right because that's how mm -hmm. it feels what you just described is exactly what we thought when we was starting we're like you know we could do it ourselves you know yeah and it was an era that was dominated by punk kids and people that were had that ethos and added it to their music or brought it into their music and also you have to remember as well for any listeners out there that this time period was very influenced by the 70s and the 80s so a lot of that 70s uh, like post-punk era really mm. did influence the artists then they were looking to that as sort of this inspiration or this footprint or blueprint, in, in, if you will, for like how they could maneuver throughout the music industry without relying on a record label or a really big team behind them to curate their image and, and their sound and how they promote themselves. Right. So that was highly influential as well. Even just stylistically, the, the, the style yeah. of dress and how people were throwing all these nods to the 70s and the 80s and... Uh, embracing and adding those those little those little flourishes with with within these kind of new elements and thrifting again became so popular like everyone was uh, in the thrift shop and you would go to the thrift shop and you'd wear that night something you had just picked out there you'd walk out the thrift shop wearing that dress and you'd go to the show that night Go on. What 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 records in your mum's collection did you um, did you shine to? Okay, so she had uh, she had the Beatles, um, Sgt. Pepper's. Good. So that one was a big one, and I forget which album this is, but the Simon and Garfunkel one. What's it? Is it Sound of Silence? Is that the name of the album? Um, so Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yes, yes, like that. She played that all the time. Um, I can't remember some of the other names of the exact albums, but the. 
she had like the Everly Brothers. She had James Taylor. She had um, the zombies. Uh, oh, zombies. All... We like the zombies. Yeah. Oh, I love the zombies. Yeah. yeah. My mom got me into all this music. Luckily, I had her as this sort of like music curator in a sense as a kid because she just had all these amazing records and she would play them all the time and i was curious because it was predominantly male all the artists you mentioned and Mm -hmm. the artists were we're we're seeing a lot what we saw a lot in the late 70s if i mentioned liverpool i mentioned the first band that one of the first bands i was in was fronted by jane casey who was a Mm -hmm. well-known female figure in Liverpool. Um, then I moved to London and was working with the Slits and then with Susan the Banshees. A um, lot of female artists. And right. you, we're talking Peaches and, and Karen O uh, and Natasha and MIA and Santa Gold. And mm. is, is the new, uh, is, is, is it a good time? What, what, what's your kind of overview on What's predominant? What's been uh, historically a difficult world for women to make it make a a firm, you know, a, a safe place for themselves, you know, and a statement and and be taken for who they are. Is it? Yes. Well, that's what I loved about this time. In a sense, is that you know there were artists like the Yayas with a front woman like Karen O and. Right. MIA and even other artists like Fiona Apple, which isn't, yeah. she's not so much from that era per no. se, like she came about in the 90s. But these artists, to me, I was so happy to grow up where I could see them holding their own on stage and, right. you know, competing in a sense in the same scene as as the boys and, and, and hold and, you know, making it in a sense on their own and doing it for themselves. And that really influenced me like it because you know it is depressing if you look around you and you don't see anyone that is anything like you because it can seem like maybe it's not for you per se um but seeing them just i can't even explain how important it is to 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 any young woman who even if they don't want to pick up an instrument or join a band but to just like make something of their own to see someone doing that another woman doing that when especially in a time in the aughts like things were getting better there was a Mm. lot of women that were making it into the industry and doing it doing it without like (laughs) creating their own music without someone else feeling like someone else had to dictate it for them they could kind of make their own rules so seeing that is like so valuable but they definitely made way or like broke like broke the glass ceiling, if you will, like <laughs> for other female artists to do the same and to yeah. feel like, you know, that they could make it, that they could do this, that as long as you believe in yourself. And, you know, Karen O says this a lot. I've watched quite a few of her interviews and she said that when I started to st- to say no to things I didn't feel comfortable with and just sticking with that, not going back no matter how I was pressured and just sticking with the decision that felt right in my gut, that was invaluable. Like it was something that helped propel me forward. And I think that is something that maybe women, especially when I was growing up, perhaps we're facing you know you wanted to do something one way but then there was some person in your saying well that's not how it's done or that's not how you should do it yeah 
everywhere I've ever been, the, the, the lingua franca, you know, the one thing that's common all over the world is music. You know, people live in different ways, different situations, different kinds of places, but they all love music. You know, that, that's how we connect as human beings. And uh, it's, it's very, very necessary to, to encourage that. And it's liberating as well. That's why when sure. you look at any sort of dictatorship that's mm. occurred over history, when you look at what the rules for, were for playing music, there was oh, like yeah. only certain tempos that you could have. There were only certain yeah. rhythms. Like yeah. there was this stifling of how you could play music because they knew that it was a means to liberate people and get them to think outside mm. of what they were being told. So it is a very, very powerful. Very dangerous. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, yeah. I, you know, it, it's so important. So when I see cuts to funding for the arts, I just think that's just trying to silence a new generation or trying to silence mm. artists because they, they, can, they can see that power. I don't think it's necessarily yeah. that they don't think, oh, it's as important as being a doctor or mm. um, a scientist. I think it's yeah. I think often when you see those cuts, it's from a government that is already looking to silence or mm. oppress their people in one way or another already. What's your plans for the future, Olivia? Well, my plans for the future are just to keep it going and to just see how much more this kind of little community online builds into something more. And just, I hope, if anything, it just encourages people to embrace band culture and go and see shows and pick up, also pick up a guitar, pick up a bass. Like the, during the pandemic, the one saving grace for me was I picked up bass during the pandemic. I just started playing bass. I started, you know, playing songs. Like, I love Metric. I love Emily Haynes. She's another artist from that era that really inspired me and was just so important to me. Um, and I just started learning bass. And I'm not, like, amazing, but I still, you know, learning some of the songs from bands I love, I can't tell you how rewarding that is. And to, you know, there's frustrating things about learning an instrument because you want to get something and you can't get it. And sometimes, especially for me, I'll get really down and down on myself. I'll be like, why can't I get this thing? Like, maybe I'm just not a natural musician. Maybe I'm not meant to be a bass player. But it's all about like continuing with it. And if you have that passion for music and if you love it and something inside you just is stirring when you hear a song, I, you have every capacity to to pick up an instrument and learn. So I just wanted to learn it for myself and it builds confidence. And that is very valuable. And I think, you know, a lot of young people are very lost right now. There's a lot going on in the world that is very disheartening. It's very um, mm. uh, depressing in a sense. And I think, you know, some people are losing hope, but I think if you have a hobby, if you have something that makes you feel like you're you're progressing in some sense, that's, that's valuable. And I think there's so much that an instrument can give you. It doesn't matter if it's a kalimba or it's <laughs> no. like... I got one of them. <laughs> I got one. As I like to say to Budgie all the time, and you know, I like to get my Shakespeare bit in now and again. So, you know, music hath charms to calm the savage breast, right? Mm. So basically, yeah. you know, it helps us. It helps us, and that's a really wonderful point. You know, for me, there that is another aspect of learning an instrument. That is, it's just it can calm you down.
It's lovely to uh, lovely to meet Olivia. It's like we could have spent more time. I know. I could have talked to you all day. <laughs> well, thank you. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer Dan Didier. Executive producer Mark Cates. Associate producer Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing Margie Taylor. Art and logo design Justin Thomas K. Music production Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.